A little girl sitting in church with her father suddenly felt ill. Daddy, she whispered, I think I'm going to get sick. I think I'm going to throw up. The daddy said, hurry, dear, go downstairs to the bathroom. About two minutes later, the little girl comes back, and the dad surprised how quickly she got back. And she said, Daddy, I didn't have to go all the way downstairs. I got out to the foyer, and there I saw a box which was labeled for the sick. (laughs) Oh, the martyrs of Revelation chapter 6 are also sick. They are sick of the unjust people who have martyred the saints throughout the tribulation period. They are crying out for justice, justice. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 6, please. And as you're turning to Revelation chapter 6, we are now in our third time zone, according to Revelation 1.19. Uh, we've gone from the past, uh, from John's perspective. That was his vision in chapter 1 of the resurrected and glorified Christ. Then we transition to the seven churches in John's day in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Uh, then we were taken up to the throne room of God where God's plan is being thought through, so to speak. In other words, we see the Father on the throne and the Son that takes the book that's in the Father's hand and begins to open the seals, which pours out the judgments on the earth at this time. So, as we have now come through the first four seal judgments, Revelation chapter 6, 1 through 8, we pick it up with the fifth seal judgment in Revelation 6, beginning in verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Bow your heads with me as I lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you that as we've thought about often the love of God, now we are focused upon the justice of God. Help us to understand our perfect God better and his nature. And Lord, that there is a danger in rejecting Jesus Christ as Savior. So I ask that you would enlighten us, help us to get our arms around this text today, and to please for justice. Guide us now, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice uh, beginning in verse 9, when he, this is Jesus, opened the fifth seal. The lamb opens the fifth seal. And may I say, it doesn't cause or produce these martyrs as if Jesus himself killed them. Uh, Rather, what is going on here is the fifth seal gives us a description of the prayers, the heart's desire of these tribulational saints who are martyred. They want God to avenge them of the ungodly acts perpetrated upon them. 
We continue in verse 9. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Observe the words under the altar. Uh, There are two altars associated with the Old Testament tabernacle and then the temple. Uh, Some see this one as the altar of burnt offering. Uh, Exodus chapter 27, one feet away from the Old Testament. Uh, It was located in the court outside the tabernacle. It is on this altar that animal sacrifices were carried out. John Walverd, let me read you his quote. They are described, speaking of the martyrs, as being under the altar in keeping with the fact that the blood of the sacrifice of the Old Testament was poured out under the altar. And we see that from Exodus 29, 12 and Leviticus 4, 7. But wouldn't the souls be on the altar instead of under the altar? And then also, why is there a need in heaven for an altar for sacrifice uh, since the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us from all sin? And there's just not at the point to have this kind of altar there in heaven. I think it's better to see this as the altar of incense, uh, which is located in the holy place just outside the holy of holies. So we have the prayers of these martyrs from the tribulation, and they're associated with incense. Uh, come back with me. Chapter 5, look at verse 8, please. Revelation 5, 8. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense. But observe here the description, which are the prayers of the saints. So the connection, the incense with the prayers of the saints. Then also uh, spring forward over to Revelation chapter 8. Come down now to verses 3 and 4. This is the seventh seal and another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. So the altar of incense is the one I believe that is referred to here in Revelation chapter 6 in verse 9 in conjunction with the prayers of the saints. So why were they murdered? Why do we have these individuals now making this petition to the Almighty? It says, who had been slain for the word of God? Whether here it's a reference to the word itself or the proclamation of the word because they were proclaiming the word, this takes place in the first half of the tribulation. Uh, Yet, throughout the ages, many have been slaughtered for identifying with Jesus Christ. And even before Christ came, we have those from the Old Testament who were killed because of their righteous life. Uh, For instance, let's go to the uh, book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. In chapter 4, we learn about the outworking of Adam's sin 
that is now being passed down to each subsequent generation. And in Genesis chapter 4, pick it up with me please, down in verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? See, it's not that the Lord is asking because he doesn't know. He's trying to get Cain to confess what he had done and see the danger of his act. He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And then Genesis 4.10. And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood, but notice the terminology here, cries out to me from the ground. Isn't that what we have essentially over in the book of Revelation with the souls under the altar? Now let's go to the New Testament. Jesus emerges on the scene uh, as the gospels record about his life, his death, and his resurrection. And in Matthew chapter 23, he has such harsh words for the religious hypocrites. Pick it up with me, please. Matthew 23, beginning in verse 31. Remember, he's speaking to the scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 31. Therefore you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel. That's the first martyr in the Bible, Genesis chapter 4. To the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah. Now in the Hebrew Old Testament, the book of Chronicles is the last book in the Hebrew Old Testament. Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, is martyred there. So in other words, Jesus is saying, from the first martyr of the Old Testament, Abel, to the very last martyr, their blood be upon you, religious leaders, for what you have done. Verse 36, Assuredly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. In other words, you're going to be judged severely for what you have done. And then also, the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Book of Hebrews chapter 11. Of course, the book of Hebrews is written to Hebrews. And there are a group of saints. And then we have those who are affiliated with the church. It seems like persecution has arisen. And some want to walk away from Christ and go back to the Old Testament system. So the writer reminds this, the saints and those associated with the saints about the Old Testament and, and how many had been slaughtered for identifying with the true God. So pick it up here. Let's look at the second half of verse 35. This is Hebrews eleven thirty-five. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. In other words, they would rather identify with their God and be killed than to compromise with this world system. 
Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. Prior reference to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. The Old Testament pointed to the New Testament and particularly Jesus Christ, the one who would be the perfecter of our faith. And so to walk away from him would be the walk away from God and eternal life. Come back with me, please, over to the book of Revelation. So we're just looking at the ones who had been slain for the word of God. Notice it says, and for the testimony which they held. You could probably translate the word and as even, the essence of use. Even for the testimony which they held. What a powerful combination. Here you have the word of God and then the testimony of the saints. To show you how powerful this is, uh, flip over to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12 is transitioning us to the second half of the tribulation called the time of Jacob's trouble. It's the great tribulation. Satan is expelled permanently from heaven, comes down to the earth. His wrath is great, so he's going to go after both Israel and then those who know the Lord from the preaching of those who get saved during the tribulation. Revelation 12, notice 10, 11. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, that's Satan, who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. You see that? They maintained their testimony and it was powerful and they did not love their lives to the death. They truly live lives in what Jesus has called us to do. Let a man deny himself. Let him take up his cross, which was the association of death and follow me. So a powerful testimony is given to those who have believed in Christ and hold tenaciously to him Let's continue here now in Revelation chapter 6. Speaking of these martyrs under the altar, it says in verse 10, and they cried with a loud voice. Cried out is the idea from the verb crazo here. Uh, it's a strong word. You think of um, Abel's blood crying out. Remember that back in Genesis 4.10? Well, the same term crazo is used here and in Galatians 4.6. Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts. And here's our term, crying out, Abba, Father. Because the indwelling spirit inhabits our lives, there is a yearning to know God. And therefore the crying out of Abba, the Aramaic term, and 
Father. And here's their plea. How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Let me pose you this question. Why is it when Jesus is on a cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And even the prayer of Stephen, the first martyr of the church age. In Acts 7 and verse 60, he says, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. But yet, we have these martyred saints crying out essentially, get them, Lord. Avenge us of our blood. Why the difference in the two? And may I say it's all timing. Our Lord's first coming was that he might lead the lost to himself. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus' first coming, we're told in John 3, 17, that he did not send, this is God, his Son, into the world to what? Condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But now we are in a tribulation period. The church has been raptured. And these tribulation saints understand the nature of the inhabitants of the earth. That's a technical term. Used often in Revelation to speak of the earth dwellers who receive the mark of the beast. And as a result show that they are eternally committed to Satan and the Antichrist, and will be separated. It's about those individuals that those under the altar are saying, Lord, justify us, vindicate us, go and avenge us because of what they have done. And what's the plea here? How long? Literally, the Greek says, until when? They're looking for a specific period of time. They're saying, Lord, we've endured for you. How long do we have to wait? Until when? Until you avenge us. And notice the cry here, how long? Lord, Lord, oh Lord. This is not the common word in the New Testament, kurios, but this is the word despotes. You hear the word despot? Uh, This term uh, has the idea of someone with absolute power it's not used often in the new testament actually there are just 10 new testament uses it's regularly used of god and that's how it's applied in in luke chapter 2 and verse 29 in acts chapter 4 and verse 24 but in second peter 2 1 it is used of jesus and there when it's speaking about jesus is saying that the false prophets the false teachers it says even denying the lord That's the word, the Lord who bought them. But hear the plea of those under the altar to God the Father, how long, O Lord, and then there was an appeal made to the attributes of God who is holy and true. Jesus is described the same way back in Revelation chapter three and verse seven, but again, this is of the Father. And the appeal is to the one who is holy. He cannot tolerate sin The Old Testament word, kadosh, means belonging to the realm of the sacred. That's where our God dwells, in the realm of the sacred. And there comes a point, there will come a time when he will unleash his judgment, his fury on the wicked. So the appeal is to God because he is holy and because he is true. The word true here means 
genuine. Have you caught that when the martyrs pray, it's based upon the nature of God? We call it his attributes or his perfections. They understand who God is, and as a result of his very nature, they are requesting that God, the one who is holy and that is true, will do what? Judge. Because that's what they say, until you judge. God will judge at the right time. Do you recall from Genesis 18, God is going to pour out his fury on Sodom and Gomorrah and those surrounding cities. And Abraham stands in the gap. Why? Because Lot is there and Lot's family. And Abraham pleads with God not to judge the righteous with the unjust. And then this is the statement that Abraham makes in Genesis 18.25. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? (laughs) Shall he not do what is right? Yet God will do what is right because he's a just judge. See, until you judge and avenge our blood. Revelation 19, we have just seen the judgment in chapter 17 and 18 on Babylon. And yes, I think a literal Babylon, and we'll deal with that, Lord willing, when we get there in the future. But in Revelation 19, picking it up in verse 1, after these things I heard. It means a new vision's given. Remember when we have those words, metatalta, but then with a verb of perception, I saw or I heard, as used here, it means a new vision is given. A loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. See, he had just judged Babylon, verse 2. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her, observe carefully, the blood of his servants shed by her. Yes. Back with me over to Revelation chapter 6. He's going to avenge their blood, but particularly it's on those who dwell on the earth. I'd mentioned earlier, let me just state it again. The earth dwellers, the inhabitants of the earth. Kata is the preposition which means down, and oikos is house. These are the individuals, the earth dwellers who say, this world is our home. You and I, child of God, Philippians chapter 3, our citizenship is in heaven. These individuals will shake their fist at the Almighty and say, no, no, this is Mother Earth that we worship. We're staying right here. And they're very defiant in their demeanor. And now down in verse 11, and a white robe was given to each of them. Charles Ryrie writes, they wear white robes signifying their fully redeemed state. Yeah, because now they are in the presence of the Lord. And what is the word of comfort? What does it say? And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer. The verb here, rest, used in the middle voice, means to rest or take one's rest. Uh, 14.13 of the book of Revelation implies that you're also to enjoy 
enjoy being refreshed in the presence of the Lord. So how long uh, until you enact judgment? And then down here in verse 11, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. It points out that judgment will come, but it won't be until after the seven-year period. In other words, there are more people to be martyred. And when that period of time for the martyrs to be killed is over, then Christ will come back and enact judgment on them. John Walver writes, it may very well be that the majority of those who trust Christ as Savior in that day will be put to death. Hmm. A lot to think about. Let me uh, share with you the main point from Revelation 6, 9-11. Martyred saints will be avenged because God is just. Martyred saints will be avenged because God is just. It's appropriate to pray to the God of justice. It's right that we turn to him about all the injustice in the world. That when it's the right time that he would step in and deal with all the wicked people of the world. I came upon this. It's entitled Apple's Pocket God video game. Have you heard about Pocket God? Uh, It's one of the video game applications that you can put on your Apple phone. Here's the game description found on iTunes. This is what it says when you go for the advertisement. What kind of God would you be? Benevolent or vengeful? Play Pocket God and discover the answer within yourself. On a remote island, you are the all-powerful God that rules over the primitive islanders. You can bring new life and then take it away just as quickly. Yeah, that's the description. Isn't that wonderful? Seeing that game options include throwing islanders into volcanoes, using islanders as shark bait, bowling for islanders with a large rock, or creating earthquakes to destroy the islanders' villages. Designers seem to think players will only want to play the role of a vengeful god which must mean that they think that's the only kind of God players can ever imagine being. Isn't that sad? Well, let me just step you back for a moment what it leads up to the tribulation period. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, Jesus had been tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. He had gone through much. And over in Luke chapter 4, we learn about his temptations and all that he endured and how he quotes the word of God to overcome uh, all that he has hurled at him by the wicked one. So now, down here in Luke chapter 4, let's pick it up in verse 18. And I want to show you something I think of significance to understand the difference between the first coming of Jesus Christ and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Our God has not always been a God just given to vengeance. There was a period of time 
where he desires people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But when God is rebuffed repeatedly and rejected, then the time for vengeance comes. Here is Jesus. Uh, The Spirit of God is upon him. Luke emphasizes the Spirit's power upon our Lord. And in verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me reads Jesus from the scroll of Isaiah 61. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closes the book. In other words, the scroll is rolled up at that point. But why does he end here? To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, go back with me to the book of Isaiah to see the quote that Jesus gives. And I don't only want you to see the quote, but I want you to see what he doesn't say. This is in relation to his first coming. Are you with me there? Isaiah chapter 61, begin with me in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Remember? And that's where Jesus rolls up the scroll. But what is it that he does not say at this point? And the day of vengeance of our God. And the day of vengeance of our God. You see, after the comma separates the first and second comings of Jesus Christ. Because the first coming, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So Jesus, understanding this, comes, reads Isaiah 61, 1 through 2a, But he ends with to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. This is the period of time to put your faith in Jesus Christ. That is why the Lord Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's why Stephen says, don't lay this to their charge, Lord. But yet, when the rapture of the church comes and the church is carried into the presence of the Lord and then the Antichrist comes on the scene and he pretends to do what is right. But what do we see from Revelation 4 and 5? That God takes the book with the judgments out of the hand of God and begins to unloose the seals and then we have seven seal judgments seven trumpet judgments seven bowl judgments and you have much of the world's populations killed off at this point but yet the first coming was all about salvation yes there will be salvation decisions made during the time of the tribulation but may i say it's that's when the wrath of god is being poured out 
upon the earth. So that is the distinction between the first and the second. So now we proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. But there will come a time when you will have the day of vengeance of our God. And that will be during the tribulation. So may I encourage you? Share Christ with whomever you can. Proclaim him in his death, burial, and resurrection while you have opportunity under this age of grace because the time will come when this period will expire that the Lord Jesus will come with the shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God that he'll come to take his saints to be with him and I love what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4 and thus we shall always be with the Lord but then you will have that period of wrath Let's be faithful to give the gospel of grace while we are living in the age of grace, but knowing that the patience and perseverance of God will not last forever, that his wrath will eventually be poured out in the tribulation, and then there will be an eternal damnation for all those that have rejected him. Lord, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart full of wisdom. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for a look into the tribulation period and even into what transpires in heaven with those martyred saints and that they turn to the holy God, the one who rules, to make the appeal, to ask you to enact judgment on the earth. I thank you that they turn to your nature. They turn to your attributes and your perfections because they understand that you are a God of justice. Help us, Lord, with all that we have to proclaim Christ, that this might be the acceptable year of the Lord, that today would be this day of salvation for many. But then, Lord, to understand that the wrath of God will be poured out, and that is just as well, because it's a reflection of the nature of a perfect God. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.